Hello and welcome back for the second episode of our Gen Y Tall Poppies podcast. It's great to have you back for more. If you're a brand new listener, we're all about helping our generation learn more about money, business and leadership and why fulfilling your potential is the only way to live. Considering we don't have an, uh, an introduction title, we thought we'd better introduce ourselves. I'm Finn Kelly and this is my co-host Sarah Regalhuth. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back. Hopefully the sound is a little better this week because we've actually played around with our microphone. Last week we kind of just jumped straight into it, unpacked the microphone from the box and turned it on, recorded a podcast and uh, when I listened back I thought, oh, it sounds probably not that good so I decided to read the instruction manual. But And I actually <laughs> chose not to listen to it because if I listened to it we'd probably want to do it over and over and again and the best thing about doing business and jumping into things is just do it and put it out there and you can always improve it later. Yeah, exactly. Like I really don't like the tile that we have for the podcast mm. at the moment. I don't know how, what oh, you it's think. disgusting. <laughs> but, you know, we recorded it and we were like, okay, let's just get it up. And one of our staff just quickly whipped something together and put it up. And I think that's often a really good way to approach things in business. Like you're never going to get things perfect. It's better to just get things going and put it up and start moving forward. And you can we can change that tile. It'll probably be changed by the time this podcast goes Well, it's live. almost the difference between an entrepreneur and a dreamer is that the entrepreneur will just get it out there and then test it later where the dreamer just wants everything to be perfection. And when you're doing that, you're never going to actually get real results. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to talk all about the get rich slow philosophy. Now, I'm lucky that I've got my wife who is a published author who's actually got a book called The Get Rich Slow and basically it's all built on exactly how we run our business at Wealth Enhancers which ultimately is how Sarah and I run our personal finances. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think since it's early on in this podcast series, it would be really great for our listeners to get a chance to really understand what we do at Wealth Enhancers which is our Gen Y financial advisory and coaching firm and explain you know, how we, how we operate, what we do for our members. But as Finn said, this is what we do for ourselves. So I think it's useful for anyone just to really hear about how how we go about wealth creation, what our philosophies are, what we believe in. Um, and really, I guess, I mean, let's just jump in. I think mm. the first thing that we really talk about is um, why, like why, what are you actually trying to achieve in life? And I think when uh, Sarah actually published the book, Get Rich Slow, there was a lot of controversy because most people want to get get rich quick. And I used to be one of those people as well. But the unfortunate thing is, is that when you get rich quick, well, ultimately it doesn't happen very regularly, but when you actually do do it, you've got uh, some psychological issues where you actually don't know how to handle the wealth. And that's why we've seen those stats with uh, people who have won lotteries and everything. Generally, they lose the money within the first two years. Yeah, it's so common, those stats. And I think, you know, it's that whole just hoping for things rather than actually taking action. I mean, it's very easy to sit around and think about and dream about, I just want to have my debt paid off, or I just want to have X amount of money, or I just want to have a house, or I just want these things, but never actually thinking, what am I going to do day by day to get there and to take action? And I think that's why if then the money does just fall in your lap, you know, because you haven't put that time and effort Mm. into getting things on track and getting planning and moving forward, it does end in tears, as Finn said. Now, the interesting thing is a lot of people don't realize that we don't just do this with our Gen Y business. We actually have a private client business called WE Private, and that's what we originally started uh, just under five years ago. And we basically built this Get Rich Slow philosophy after studying all our successful private clients and saw how did they actually do it. We asked all their questions and basically they uh, lived and breathed all these uh, philosophies and structures that we're going to talk about today. So and you've just got to think about it 
look at your successful people in your life and I guarantee that they're probably doing these strategies. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Talking to all of those older clients, and I remember when we first started doing it, it was like as much for ourselves as it was for our future business with the Gen Y um, members and clients, just to find out how did they get there? How did they actually start? Because, you know, sitting down with someone who's worth $20 million is one thing, but there's a lot of questions about how did they actually start from having nothing supposedly at one point in time to actually having now a lot of wealth. And I remember one of the things that would always come back was like they did have some kind of advisor or even if it was just their accountant or someone who was telling them and encouraging them and keeping them accountable. And I think that's something we've seen a lot of with our young members in Gen Y as well um, in Wealth Enhancers who they kind of do a few things, get get sorted and then they think I can do it all myself and then they often go away and blow themselves up because I think it's really something having accountability just like with fitness and stuff you know I think just like yeah there was definitely one thing which stood out for me when I looked at all our private clients though it wasn't the strategies they put in place it all started internally and they really had a good understanding what their values were what their values were where they were heading what was their life vision and then what were their goals from that you want to share anything there, Seth? Um, yeah, I mean, I think establishing your goals is really the most important thing that I've seen. Um, I know in my years as a financial advisor, before I took this goals and values type approach, I'd be sitting with clients, telling them exactly what they needed to do to, say, pay off credit card debt or repay a home loan or build up their superannuation for a time or whatever it might have been. Um, and they were really based on what I would see as the problem sitting down with them and thinking they've got to get that sorted. And a year later, I'd sit back and down with them and a year after that, and I'd be just tearing my hair out thinking, why haven't they actually done what I've told them to do? Like I've told them exactly what to do to get to that point. But what I worked out was I was more motivated by them paying off their debt than they were, or I was more motivated about creating that retirement goal for them than they were because I wasn't actually spending the time. And I didn't even really think about it, I suppose. It's not something you're taught as a financial advisor. Um, But really, I wasn't spending the time working out what do they really want as people and what's going to keep them on track because they're motivated to it. And this is where you can't just focus on the goals as well. You've got to understand those values because unfortunately, it's society's pressures. We actually go, oh, we want this goal because we think that's something we want. So it might be this nice property or it might be having this fancy car or anything like that. And unfortunately, when you get there, you often find that you're not that happy because you weren't really attached with to it all. So we always talk about what are those core life values and then how do we set goals accordingly to, mm. to make you a bit happy there. Mm. Absolutely. And the biggest thing that I think we both agree that we've seen is when someone actually is very attached to that goal because it is in line with their values, they're far less likely to deviate from their plan. So they're far less likely to go and blow money on a pair of shoes when they know what they really want to do is go on a holiday next year and they've been hanging out to go on this holiday for ages and you know they know exactly how much they need. Every time they spend $200 on a pair of shoes, just as an example, um, that's going to take them further away from their holiday. And I think when you get it that clear, people just are much more likely to stick to it. Mm. And I always talk about when you're a young kid, you used to think about these things a bit more. You used to go, I really want that new bike or I want that tennis racket or something. And you had to set a plan and actually save. And then once you built it up, how rewarding was it when you actually got that? It's a lot better than that instant gratification that we get now with credit card and then we get the guilt that actually comes from it. So... (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing worse than going on a splurge because you're in a bad mood or you're depressed or something. And then later on, you just feel like, oh my God, why did I buy all that stuff? Or why did I do that? So just on goals, one thing that we always talk about is that you can't just put a goal out there. It's got to have three things. It's got to have 
you've got to be measurable, you've got to have a time frame, and you've got to have a monetary value associated with it. Basically, everything can come down to a monetary value. It might be that you want to spend more time with your kids. Well, that might mean that you actually need to hire a cleaner to be able to give you more time so you don't have to do that. Or it might mean that you have to work less, yeah, which all has down a monetary. to part-time work or something like mm. that. Absolutely. And I think that um, the biggest thing about doing that, like identifying your goal and then starting to tick away, and this is something that you talk about heaps, Finn, is about then that routine of actually mm. sticking, of putting that plan in place and sticking to it, like actually forming new behaviours where you're sticking to a routine. So that's also stops you from deviating from the plan. Definitely does. I use the term routine sets you free a lot. And it's basically about as much as we, we like uh, sort of variety, we like flexibility, we actually do like structure and routine. And the funny thing is it took me a while to work this out. I used to be in the military and we had so much routine and it used to annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, I realized, no, there's actually a lot of great things about it because it means you just don't have to think. It automatically happens, um, which over time builds up positive habits and it really does set you free because you're not having to worry, is this going to happen? Am I going to hit this goal? It, it just happens. It's funny. When we first met, I remember you were just always talking about how much you hated your experience in the military and you hated all that structure and rigidity but I've seen that transformation in you over the last few years where you've realized that it actually is really important as well I mean obviously the military wasn't Mm. for you and now you really openly admit there were some great things about being in the military and the great leadership skills and you know we'll talk about that in other episodes but I think it's pretty cool how we've been able to translate a lot of what you learn about routine structure um, you know, sticking to a plan, sticking to a strategy into financial planning. Definitely. It's and really cool. it's one of those things that when I didn't have that routine, because I, I was so focused on I wanted to live in the moment, I actually wasn't living in the moment because I was just trying to be free, where now I feel a lot freer. Mm. So, I mean, tra- talking about translating this to money, I guess the best thing to do with your own personal cash flow is to actually automate your banking so automate everything that's happening so that you don't need to think about it and um, I mean one of the ways we do this is through personal spending so we set up we call it personal spending it's like the amount of money that you're allowed to spend every week on the fun stuff so dining out um, you know gifts for people groceries as well and fuel and petrol and things like that but that's the money that comes into your account every week and the rest of your finances stay in a separate bank account and you set up all of these direct debits and transfers. And I mean, we'll go into a bit more detail in a minute, but basically automating it all. So all you need to think about is a certain amount of money every week and the rest of it is sort of working in the background for you. And then you need to track and review your actual spending. So it's all well and good to automate that, but then you need to regularly look at it. We also do quarterly coaching where basically it's our our opportunity to get our members back in track and sort of go, all right, you've gone a little bit off here, mm. what went wrong, rather than letting it go a year because a lot of things can happen in a year. We actually sort of get you back on track on towards your goals. Yeah, that's the accountability piece. I guess just going back to the automating your finances a bit, I, I think just maybe we'll go through a few examples Mm. exactly of how we would make it work and how we do it for ourselves. So what we do is we have a, we call it a cash hub, like a main bank account where all income from all sources goes into. So for people like Finn and I, I mean, we have some small salaries that we pay ourselves from our businesses, but a lot of the other income we 
receive now is either dividends from our companies or it's actually, you know, investment income or interest or earned on um, stuff in the bank or whatever it is. So all of that income that we're receiving from all sources goes into one bank account. And then as I said earlier about personal spending, you transfer every single week a certain amount of personal spending. So for us, we we spend $250 each a week, or that's what we allocate ourselves. Um, There's a bit of a you might have seen it on social media and stuff. There's a bit of a 250 club going around the Wealth Enhancers community at the moment where a bunch of members and even non-members are all um, trying to stick to $250 a week in personal spending. So it's a bit of fun. I mean, most people we see um, in Wealth Enhancers are spending between 200 and 400 is probably maybe 500 is probably the average that people set themselves for the personal spending. That It really is individual because I think this is an important point as well. It's not up to anyone else to tell you, even your financial advisor, what you should or shouldn't spend your money on. It's up to you to tell yourself that I'm comfortable and I'm happy to spend my money on those things. It's one of those interesting ones as well. A lot of people think, oh, I couldn't do that. It's not possible. And then one of our coaches in Melbourne, he loves always referring, well, I've got two AFL players who are earning half a million dollars a year who are on the 250 yeah. club because <laughs> they're like, I don't want to waste money. I'm actually pretty focused on my goals exactly. now. Exactly. And when you have everything else ticking away, So from your cash hub, your $250 is coming out to your bank account. That's what you focus on. But everything else is feeding from the cash hub. So all of your bills are on direct debit, your rent or your mortgage repayments, all of your investments and your savings, any debt repayments that need to be made. It's all set up automatically to just come out of that cash hub. So that cash hub kind of sits there. Hopefully there's a little bit of a buffer you know, swilling around the bottom of that account. It might get down to $1,000 here or there, but it's always sort of the money comes in, it goes out and does what it needs to do. It's certainly not building up, but there's always money there to just pay everything you need. And I think the best thing about this is, I was chatting to my sister about it the other day, actually, the whole... um like you don't actually need credit cards if you do this properly because everyone sort of says, oh, I need a credit card because I get – what if I get an unexpected expense? Like what if, you know, an unexpected expense like my car insurance comes? It's like, come on, it's that's not, not unexpected. unexpected. That comes yeah. every year. Um, there's very few things that are genuinely unexpected. And if you have a bit of a buffer, like that's a savings account – That's what the emergency account, account is anyway. Yeah, exactly. If you've got an emergency account, which is something we – recommend and we do it for ourselves and for our members, which is try to save up three months of your after-tax income. So what you would normally receive in three months, save that up into a bank account. Don't touch it. Just leave it there. I know saving for an emergency fund isn't the most you know, motivating or exciting thing. But let's face it, if you have that money there, then nothing will ever throw you. And the power of that emergency account, we've just actually had a member who is now, because she's just hit a goal of three months emergency, she now has the confidence to go start her own business because she knows she's got flexibility. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. It really is. And the awesome thing about this automated finances is the great thing is as long as you don't go tweaking your actual accounts, what actually occurs is you hit all your goals because it's all allocated. You've actually you've, you've got a foolproof plan on how to reach your goals. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to stick to your weekly spending, probably one of the cool tips I've seen some of our members do is like creating like a mini budget. So they look at what have they got on for the week ahead because they know they've got X amount of money to spend and they allocate, okay, I've got that dinner, that'll be $50 because that's a bit of a bit of a splurge for me. Um, I've got that coffee, that'll be $20. I've got my groceries and da, da, da. And then if they see, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it on my 250 or my 300 or my 500, whatever, they have to either change something around or know that they've got to spend less money on that at that particular event that week. So it does work. It takes a bit of time, as we said before, routine discipline, but it does really start to work. 
So something else that we do a lot of is tracking your spending. So we, uh, a big thing that we saw, the problem with financial advice is, is that we'd get to the sort of the end of the year after making this budget and then we'd be like, well, what happened here? Why, why didn't we save the amount that we said we would? Why haven't we hit our goals? And we realized is because we actually didn't know what we were spending. Mm. No one knew. And I always talk about this sort of the gift thing. You'd get to the end of the year and you're like, why, am I, why have I run out of like three yeah, grand out of budget? Christmas rolls around. Christmas rolls around or last Last year, I had 15 weddings where it was just gift after gift after gift. And if I didn't budget that, everything was blown out. So this is what we did. We used this software called Xero, which is an accounting software. And we actually treat every single person like a business. So every month, we send you a profit and loss statement, which says, this is what you budgeted. You said you were going to spend $500 on dining out, $250 on fitness, uh, and so on. And this is what you actually really did. And it's a really interesting thing is because when you see that each month, you often get a shock. We might go, wow, I did $1,000 dining out when I only thought I did 500 Now, naturally what happens is you get this corrective behavior where you go, oh, I feel a little bit guilty about that. Maybe next month I won't eat out as much. And automatically you're, you're self-correcting. Yeah, and I mean, some people laugh and go, oh my gosh, are you guys going to be looking at every transaction and seeing all my money? And the reality is, we, as I said earlier, we don't care what people are spending their money mm. on. It's more for them to be able to know and take action if they see, I don't want to be spending that amount of money on dining out or I don't want to be spending that amount of money on whatever it is. All might we be. really want to see is greens means yeah. it's good, red means it's bad. And if you're in greens and ultimately the bottom line is a green, that means you know that you're hitting every single goal and you've got some room to move. And the cool thing is there's a whole bunch of technology out there that can help you do this for yourself. I think Pocketbook, mm, Mint, I'm Mint. not sure that might be a US one, but um, there's... And even some of the banks are doing basic yeah, ones now. Yeah, so yep. there's loads of stuff that you can use yourself, which will it'll be more basic than what we do at Wealth Enhancers, but it'll give you a really good starting point. Um, I tested that Pocketbook one out and it... Um, even sends you like alerts to your phone yep. saying you haven't you've got this extra left to spend this week or you haven't spent this much or you've saved this much. It's, it's quite cool. The great thing about it as well is because you're actually often on the iPhone app reconciling some of these things yourself. You often get alerted to costs that you didn't even know about, like your phone. But we often see little things like. We see a person who's getting a regular $600 Telstra phone bill and we're just like, how does this actually happen? Mm. You get unlimited caps now for $100. They didn't know about it. Lo and behold, we've just saved them a holiday each year by just moving them to a cap. And we've actually had one of our coaches walk down one of our members <laughs> to Telstra and go, you're going to change it to an unlimited oh, cap. They're so good. That's such a yeah. good service. Um, remember we had we had the young member once, it was about two years ago, who we saw, same thing, a huge phone bill. It was like $1,000. We're like, what the hell is this? And we found out it was iTunes. Oh, yeah. And um, we just pop them on Spotify, $11 a month. Now they've got all the music yeah, in the was, world. They were racking up about $2,000 a month in no, iTunes. No, it was $1,000 a, yeah. a month. Yeah, I remember it because I was like, oh, my goodness me. And it was all just music, which, you know, they then owned the music and all that was cool, but that's a lot of money, and they didn't want to be spending that amount of money on no. it. So, yeah, Spotify straight away solved their problem, $11 a month, I think I think it was. So it's pretty cool. Um, I guess uh, all of this stuff is really good, but we were talking earlier about accountability and 
I think that that's where you're really going to achieve goals with your finances. And obviously we do it for our members through our quarterly coaching, but even um, yourself, you do it with a friend or a family member or someone. So share what you're doing, what your goals are and what you're trying to do with your finances and ask them, you know, once a quarter or once a month or whatever, can you check in with me and see how I'm going? Because we all know that having someone looking over our shoulder, having some levels of accountability makes us far more successful. Mm. I mean, for me, I think about when I used to run with my girlfriends around the tan every week when I was living in Melbourne. I've now moved to Sydney. I don't have any girlfriends to run with and I don't go running as much as I used to because just, I knew yeah. that they were going to be there in the morning. You just got to look at other parts in life and people who want to lose weight. It doesn't just happen. That's why Weight Watchers exist. That's why we have sort of group fitness programs. Like we're all got to support each other and that's what sort of coaching is. You do. You know, mm. you get the best results yourself when you've got someone else. And I think that's what you and I do for each other in terms of business and stuff because when you own your own business, again, you have no accountability. So getting a business coach, getting a mentor or having a co-founder is a real really great way. And if you don't have any of those things, again, get a group of other business owners together and say, let's catch up once a month or once a quarter and just let them know what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve and have them keeping you accountable. I think we need it in all areas of our life. And we, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. I really, really realized that you know, as good as a financial plan is, we can give you the best plan in the world. But the moment you walk out the door, I have no control over whether you're going to implement that or not. But by doing quarterly coaching means that we can least pick up within three months if a member's not actually actioning what we're telling them to. And the funny thing is, going back to those private clients, all these successful people that we really idolize and think that they know everything, they have more sort of people working around them, more professional advisors, these teams of people giving them advice because they know it actually works. Yeah, absolutely. You see, all the most successful coaches and business owners, they all have coaches or mentors of their own it's just so impressive and i think it's almost like the more you know the more you realize you don't know and you Mm. need someone else to help you and keep you accountable and all that sort of thing so a big part of the get rich slow philosophy is to start trying to get people to be a bit more comfortable about talking about their personal finances and there's one area which is almost like a uh, it's a toxic thing which is going on in Australia at the moment. Actually, the whole world. It's this whole debt. We've mm. just got this uh, chronic acceptance of debt and unfortunately, we don't talk about it. We, we're starting to talk about um, depression. We're starting to talk about our weight problems and everything like that, but no one's talking about this debt mm. problem. And the, the strange thing is we, most of our, I'd say probably about 80% of it the is, people who come 80%. join we, people who might be earning Two hundred plus thousand dollars a year have been earning good money. They're still hanging around with a certain amount of credit card debt each year, and it's just because we get accepted with it. Yeah, I mean, credit cards is obviously the biggest form of debt that we see. Credit cards, personal loans, um, ATO. Sometimes people who might have been running their businesses for a while but haven't really been doing it in the most effective way and got a bit caught caught out with tax bills and things like that. But it is not uncommon at all. And we have seen huge amounts of personal debt. And I mean, at Wealth Enhancers, we're dealing with the top end of Gen Y, I would say. We're dealing with the high achievers, the high performers, the high income earners, people who are motivated and driven. But unfortunately, because as you were saying, we don't talk about money much at all, like not only just debt, but money in our society, it's often something that gets completely overlooked. So people could be high achieving and performing in all areas of their life, but finances can often go astray. And I think health was probably something Mm. years, 10, 20 years ago that would be put to the side a little bit and everything else would be, that would be sacrificed for everything else. But I think with, you know, shows like Biggest Loser and MasterChef and 
all these different shows talking about food and nutrition and health and fitness. And, and just we've just really generally made it really acceptable now to kind of be concerned about your health. We see meditation and yoga and stuff like that, mindfulness becoming much more common in the workplace. There's so many things there. I mean, we personally would love to see that happen with money. Um, but anyway, back to the debt thing, I think, you know, it's probably worth us talking through our philosophies on debt and what we think is okay and what's not. Definitely. So we've actually changed our views on this over the last couple of years. We used to recommend credit cards because I used to manage them myself and I used to think they were great things because we would get points. We would uh, be able to delay the purchase for 50 days so then I could use money for other things. But what we found by using our tracking software was we actually saw that even if you paid off your credit card every month so you never paid any interest, unfortunately, you spent about 20 to 30% more than someone who didn't have a credit card. And that's because there was no emotional connection with it. It was that instant gratification and deal with it later. And that's been relative. Like that's probably only the last six or... It's this yeah. year that we did that, isn't it? Yep. Because I remember... Yeah, my personal spending allocation was still, it was around $1,000 a month and I used to spend that on my credit card. But every single month when I'd get the bill, it'd be like 1100 or $1,200. And, you know, we always had the money there to pay it off. So it wasn't a big stress and I never worried too much about it. But the funny thing is since we've cut up our credit cards and cancelled them and gone to me getting 250 a week in my bank account and you the same, um, I often don't even spend my whole 250 So mm. I'm definitely spending less because now it's like a bit of a game for me to not spend all my money. And I always talk about it. It's The credit card is almost like the devil and you're dancing with it and eventually it will get you. Like we see it, we've had um, people who were never blown out and then they went for a trip overseas and unfortunately because of that credit card debt, it blew out massively. So Yeah, and if you don't have the money sitting around, then you going maxing a credit card, up is really going to mean that you're going to be paying that off for years and years and unfortunately you generally don't have anything for Mm. that i mean you might have some experiences or memories which arguably are important but at the same time the stress that you're going to go through over the next however many years i mean we've seen people who have been in debt for 15 years finally just go you know what i am so sick of it and guys please help me just get out of it and the turnaround you see after that get them out of debt in a year it's amazing what we can do so just to in light of time so Points aren't worth it. You're going to be able to afford your flights because you'll have actually saved more. And emergencies, that's why you have the emergency fund. There's very few emergencies where you need that. Also, the excuse of, oh, I need credit cards to be able to do purchases. You can use Visa and MasterCard debits now, cards for actually for purchases now. Yeah, so basically we just don't agree with any non-deductible debt. So anything which is debt for an investment, so generally that would be a property or shares, or or going into business potentially. Um, Obviously, there's a whole lot of stuff you've got to consider when you're doing that. But those kind of things, you are borrowing then to grow your wealth. So it's there's ways to structure that so that it's really effective and it works really well for you. It allows you access to things that you wouldn't be able to access with, with only your own savings. But anything that is just credit cards, personal loans, car debt. Don't talk to me about car car debt. You're not entitled to have a flash car (laughs) and then you're paying back something which is going down in value every year. Yeah, exactly. So anything that's going to either give you nothing, so just lifestyle purchases or going to go down in value, absolute no-no to debt. Whereas anything that's actually going to go up in value or potentially expand or grow like a business, then there's definitely, you know, the case for having debt. And the only other thing with credit cards is take advantage of balance card transfers, which are on offer. You get low interest rates for periods of time, but make sure that you chop up both of the credit cards and don't actually start using them because otherwise you're just going to get back in the same problem. Yeah, definitely. And along with credit cards, there's probably one other, you know, it's so acceptable in Australia having credit cards. There's probably one other gripe I have in Australia about things that are just so acceptable, which is 
buying property. And mm. I mean, I'm absolutely believing property. I've owned property and do own property myself. But the issue is in Australia, there's this mentality that it is the first thing that you should do. Um, there's so many young people out there buying property when they haven't even really like I haven't even saved a deposit half the time you know they're borrowing money from somewhere else to scrape together a deposit we've seen members come come into we where they've got sort of I don't know 50 60k of personal debt plus a property which is mortgaged pretty much over 100% and you just think how did that I don't even know how that happened but the banks will lend it to you so what the bank lends you is not what you should get (laughs) what you should get is more like 80% of the price of the property but and that sort of flows onto our investment philosophy. Yeah, we, I think that's what I want to talk we, about. We're, we're very open. We are investment agnostic. We're all about just we want you to build wealth, which is in line with your values and your goals. That's the biggest thing. And we want to make sure you've always got flexibility. So we always look at sort of a three-pronged approach. So we think you should be looking at cash first. And that's for your short-term goals and your emergency fund. And the big reason why that is is because you can start right away and it's easy. You can do it as little as a dollar. I mean, and we've been doing it since we yeah, were kids with our dollar mine accounts definitely. and all that. That's It is a form of investment. And I see it as it gives you options. It's mm-hmm. it's liquid. It gives you flexibility. You need cash, yeah. yeah. So then the next thing is that we actually generally like to go into shares. Now, shares aren't what people think they are, these trading. Uh, it's most like a casino. It's you're becoming part owners in a business. That's all you ever need to remember. And the great thing about shares are that they can reach sort of medium-term goals and there's a very low barrier to entry. So you can start with as little as $100 per month, unlike going to buy a property, which is could be 500000 mm. to a $1 million. And the great thing is it's also liquid. So if you need to be able to sell down a part of it, you don't, um, it's unlike a property where you have to sell down a bathroom, not possible to be able to be done, you can actually go, well, I'm just going to sell down a small amount to be able to fund something else. Yeah, exactly. It gives you way more flexibility. And then I guess, you know, once you've got your shares and your cash position built up, then it's time to look at property. And absolutely, property is a very good investment class. But unfortunately, you know, as I was saying earlier, people generally haven't built up that cash position. They haven't gone into shares or managed funds or anything yet. And by the time they buy the property, they're back to zero cash Mm. as well. So it's really, I mean, imagine that feeling of going, okay, I've got, you know, three months worth of income in the bank. I've got this share portfolio and now I'm buying my first property. That's pretty cool to know that I'm buying this property and I still have these other access to other money and other investments. And the reason why we we sort of trying to hold back people from buying a property straight away is is that Gen Y, we like flexibility and we change our minds a lot. And property is one of those things where to get the real benefits out of it, you actually need to hold on for it for a long time. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of times where a, a Gen Y person will have property and then after two years, they split up with a partner or they want to go overseas or they want to start a business and they have to sell the property and it actually they often lose out mm. and I think I mean I think we might leave insurance for another another episode because that's a really important part of um, anyone's wealth creation journey and and the only thing I want to say about it now because I think we should really talk about it in more detail because it's pretty misunderstood and I also think that so many young people think, I don't need insurance because I'll get it when I'm older and nothing's going to happen to me. And the reality is the gap between where you want to be financially and where you are is the biggest now as a young person than it will ever be in your life. Because as you start building wealth, you'll get closer to where you want to be and you won't need insurance anymore. But insurance is really there to protect you so that if something really bad happened, you would actually be covered and you'd be able to still achieve your your lifestyle that you want to achieve. So anyway, I think we probably better wrap it up this for this episode. Um, I think, you know, as you can probably see, the the Get Rich Slow philosophy is really just all about training new habits and creating wealth in a sustainable fashion. 
And that's what we're going to be talking about next week, I think, uh, about habits. Yeah, good idea. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how to identify the bad ones and train new positive ones to replace those bad ones. As leaders within our own businesses, we've seen firsthand how much of our habits as, as leaders can impact our team. For any of our listeners who are business owners themselves, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Any kind of leader, for that matter, would know what we're referring to. And we thought that having a good chat about habits and about how we've discovered our leadership journey will be really valuable. Yeah, I think it'd be really good. I think that habits do play such a big role. And I know we've definitely seen that, haven't we? Like when things aren't going right, you're like, oh, that's actually my bad habit that's flowed down to the rest of the team. So we really look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, if you have any feedback on this podcast, both good and bad, please tell us. Uh, probably the fastest way to do this is through Twitter or the contact page on the WE website. It's wealthenhancers.com.au. And of course, you can follow us both and Wealth Enhancers on Twitter. I'm at The Fin Review, Sarah's at Sarah Regalhuth, and send us a tweet on the hashtag GenYTorPoppies. See Thanks, you next guys. time, guys.